Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're opening to one of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, the book of Romans. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 12, reading from verse 3 through to verse 11. So I'll give you a chance to flick to that if you've got a Bible in your hands. Otherwise, it's up on the screen as well. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Amen. Now we've got some people coming up to do some ministry interviews now. Thank you, Hayden. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. That's much better. It's good to be in church, gathered with God's people this morning. And uh, we're going to have some ministry interviews in a moment. Um, don't get distracted by what Sanjeev's doing. Sometimes when we're going down the M1, there's a car crash. Everyone's, you know, fascinated with that. Nothing to see here. So don't worry about that. Um, listen up for a second because I just want to talk about a couple of things that I think are important. Um, today is week three in Vision Month here at Follow. Um, week one, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we had our chapter two launch service. And in that launch service, we talked about um, the importance of a big vision. And from Isaiah chapter 54, we talked about um, the mission we have as God's people to enlarge the tent. And that was the name of the sermon on that particular day. Week number two, um, last week we looked at our MCGs, our missional community groups. They are our small group network. And the title of the message was Enlarge Your Fellowship. Um, next week, we're going to look at mission, which I'm really excited about. Um, today, we're going to talk about serving. And we're going to really focus in today on the big gathering of the church, what happens on a Sunday morning. Last week we looked at the small groups, today we're going to look at the big gathering um, on a Sunday morning. And I just wanted to um, chat about a couple of things, kind of breaking my sermon down into two parts today. And this is kind of part one, so if you think one part is usually too much, I'm sorry, today you get two parts. Um, But I wanted to talk about the importance of the big gathering as we gather together as God's people Um, I've seen over the last few years what I would call a false dichotomy, and that is um, a lot of people see the big gathering as the important thing, 
and the little gatherings aren't as important, or they see it the opposite way around. And I think this one's increasing, where they see the, the small gatherings as important, but they forsake the big gathering. They're kind of cynical about church or what's happened in the church they've been involved in or whatever. So they think there's no point doing all that. We just want to be together in this small group and be people on mission. Now, I've got to say that um, I don't necessarily agree that it's one without the other. I think both go hand in hand. And the reason I think that's true is because I look at the book of Acts. And when the New Testament church um, was birthed, when it exploded with impact and with vibrancy, we saw that they came together, it says, it's written there a few times, that they came together day after day and they met in the temple together. So they met in the temple to expound the scriptures, to worship, to pray together. But that same group of people, it also says that they met together in homes where they broke bread and where they had fellowship with one another. And so both were incredibly important, as they did both of them, gathering corporately and gathering in smaller groups, it helped them to become more effective as they scattered to share the gospel with the world around them. And so last weekend we talked about our small gatherings, our MCGs, today we're talking more about our big gathering. And before Follow started, we recorded a vision video, which is on the website, if you go to the front page of the website, you'll still see it there. And in that video I talked about the Sunday morning gatherings and what they're really like, And I compared them to being like a divine petrol station where you come in and we gather around God's word, where we worship together, where we pray together, where we encourage one another. Stop yawning, Pete. It's putting me off. Thanks, mate. Um, All that sort of stuff. No one's going to yawn for the rest of the service, are they? Um, And so we talked about what the big gathering's for. And when we come in, um, I don't know if if you're like me, but when you get to the end of a week, you're you're kind of weary like Pete, and and you're tired, and maybe even discouraged, but then you come into church, it's kind of like you're filled up again with God's Word, and um, you know, empowered by the Spirit as you gather with the um, fellow believers, and so you can go into your week and live as people on mission, and then you sort of wear yourself out again, then you come back, and you're filled again, and you can go again, and so that's why I see it sort of like what we're doing today is like a divine petrol station. And so in my understanding of scripture, I see both the big and the small as being really important. Now, if you drive a car, you'll know that petrol stations are not an optional extra. It's not like I'm just going to you know, avoid petrol stations for the rest of my life. You, you drive your car until you're nearly empty, and then you pull into the petrol station where you can fill up so that you can drive out again, and you can continue on your journey, and then you'll come back and you'll fill up. And so it's not an optional extra. But the thing about a petrol station is this, that it's only effective because there's people in that petrol station that make it work. And so there's a guy in a big tanker, and he goes and he fills the underground tanks with petrol so that when you pick up the nozzle and press the trigger, petrol goes into your car. And there's a manager who opens shop and closes shop, and there's an attendant who, who kind of takes your money and serves you and gives you your change. And then there's someone who stacks the shelves full of food and someone who fills the fridges with drink. And they do that over and over again so that when you go to a petrol station, it fulfills the purpose that it's meant to fulfill. Now, you probably see where I'm going with all this, um, because we come here together, and what you see today doesn't just happen. Now, the thing I like about the petrol station um, sort of example is that it's a place where we're filled up. The thing I don't like about it is that when you go to a petrol station, you're consuming. It's all about what I need and what I want. You get that, and then you go off again. It's not about what you contribute. And this is what I love about the language of the Bible. It talks about, like we just read, we're a body. Sorry, guys. I hope you're comfortable. Um, we're a body. And I get the microphone. Sometimes I just don't know when to stop. But we're a body, and so we're all part of the body of Christ. But the Bible also talks about us being a family. Now, when I go to a family do, uh, they're usually at mum and dad's house. And the first question I ask is, what are you cooking? 
Um, the second question I ask is, what can we bring? And so when you come to a family gathering with your extended family, everyone comes and they contribute something. And that's what makes a family gathering so special, that we're all contributing and we're all making it a special day. And what we do on a Sunday morning is we're gathering as a family. And so our question shouldn't be, what are you going to give me? It should be, what can I contribute to make this gathering something where we can all be filled up as we worship God and gather around his word and around prayer? Now, in our house at home, in our family, we all contribute. And when everyone contributes, um, the household goes well. So when I say we all contribute, it's sort of it's a scale, isn't it? Like the parents contribute the most, and then the oldest kid, and then it sort of goes down to the spoiled little one. And so if I'm honest, Lenny really doesn't contribute much in our household at all. He just sits on the couch and waits for everyone to bring everything for him. But as he grows up and as he matures, he will contribute more into our family. Now, the only time there's really tension in our family is when somebody stops contributing. And things become a mess because their room's a mess or they're not doing their chores or whatever. And all of a sudden there's a bit of tension because they're not contributing. But when everyone contributes, the household works well. And so this morning what we're doing together is we're gathering as a family of God. And God has given all of us gifts and abilities and talents. And he wants us to ask the question, how can I contribute to make all of this happen? Because just like a service station doesn't run by itself, what you see today doesn't happen by itself. And so you're sitting on a chair today. And you're sitting on a chair that somebody this morning has set up. I'm standing on a platform that somebody set up. You can hear my voice through the speakers that somebody set up. When I'm talking right now, it's being recorded at the sound desk because someone's sitting on the sound desk. They're recording it. And during this week, someone will put it on iTunes. This morning, as you walked in, um, before you got here, there was a whole bunch of people that set up signs and equipment and tables and musical equipment. The music team, they arrived early. And they practice so that you could come and join in as we worship God together. Now, during the service, there'll be ushers that will serve you certain things. When you walked in, you got a warm welcome from someone on our welcome team. They handed you a welcome pack prepared by someone on our administration team. Uh, At the end of the service today, um, there will be people in the kitchen serving coffee and food. And when that's done, they'll clean up the kitchen and shut up the kitchen. The setup team will become the pack-up team. And they will pack up and they will lock up and they'll leave at about 1.30 this afternoon. And then next week, guess what's going to happen? Same thing. The same thing. We're just going to repeat it over and over again. Why would we do that? Because we've got nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. That's not the truth, is it? There's many other things we could be doing. But we do it because we believe the gathering of God's people is biblical and it's powerful that when we gather together and worship God, he fills us up so that we can be people who go and scatter on mission. And so if you're part of the body Christ and you've joined this particular church family, this local church family, I would encourage every one of you to ask the question, how can I contribute? How can I contribute in the wider mission of the church? How can I contribute on a Sunday morning? So at the end of the service today, we've got a whole lot of tables down the back with all the ministries that run on a Sunday morning. And I'd encourage you to go and visit those things and maybe consider how you could contribute to make this um, something that's not just on too few a people, but it's spread out over all of us as everyone in this family contributes something to the family gathering. Now, we're going to turn again to God's Word and read another Bible reading, which is from Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Dave. Well, so far in our service today, we've kind of laid a foundation of why the Sunday gathering is important, and we've talked about the importance of serving within this context as well. But I want to spend the rest of this time just looking at these three verses to talk about how we can persevere and serve God with great joy even when life gets tough. Because we all know that there is sometimes when we're serving God and it brings us incredible pleasure, but sometimes there's times where it's just really a slog. And maybe you're one of one or the other of those at the moment. Maybe you're feeling right now you're in one of those great seasons, but maybe you're finding serving God right now a little bit difficult. So I pray that from these three verses in Hebrews, we'll get some things that will help us to serve with joy even when life gets tough. Because there's seasons that are good. And there's seasons in life when everything's going well. You know, when your faith is, is really growing, you know, those seasons where you pick up God's Word, and it like, it's like the words jump off the page at you, and, and when you pray, it feels like God's hearing your prayers and answering every prayer, and, and life's going well, and work's going well, and you, you come to church on the weekend, and you feel joyful when you're serving with a team, and you're loving them, and, and they're loving you, and, and everyone's really excited because church is growing, and it's vibrant, and we, we're excited about the weekend, but then we want to get into our week so that we can save the world and then we can barely wait to get back again next weekend to gather with God's people because it's all so joyful and it's all so exciting and I hope that's what you feel like today but maybe it's not because we all know that there's seasons like that but then there's other seasons that are difficult. Now I don't know about you but in those really good seasons I wish I had a remote control where I could press pause and then just rewind a little bit, press play, enjoy it all over again, pause, rewind, play and I could just put that on loop. And I think there's some Christians out there that think that following Jesus should be like that. That we live in this kind of euphoric experience where we're always feeling like we're touching heaven and and everything's happening in our life and we're always excited and always joyful. But if you pick up the Bible and you read about the characters in here and you look at their lives, you see some incredible joy. But you see some incredible struggles. We don't even have to pick up the Bible, do we? We can look at our own lives. To know that there's seasons where we're really loving serving God and there's other seasons that are really difficult because we all know there's those other seasons. The work's not going well and the kids are driving you nuts. I'm not talking about my family, obviously, but I've heard it in other families that sometimes the kids drive us nuts and you're not getting enough sleep and you're feeling a bit flat and discouraged and tired and grumpy and that's before you get to church. And then you rock up to church and you, the rest of your team's late or even worse, people haven't turned up at all or, or they haven't replaced themselves and so there's pressure on a team that you're serving on. Everyone's a little bit edgy and a little bit grumpy. And you've been put on the team with that guy again. He says the stupid things all the time and it irritates you and, and he doesn't wear deodorant again and, he, and then once again he smells bad. And if this happens one more time, I'm just going to explode and just give up the whole thing and, and I'm sure that you know that we've all been in seasons like that. Maybe that's where you're at at the moment. Serving's awesome. You can sign up after the service. But sometimes it's just not awesome, is it? Sometimes it's just difficult. And today I really hope that we're encouraged from God's word that we can persevere even in those times. And sometimes we can leave a service on a bad day and we can feel flat and we can feel discouraged and we can feel frustrated. Maybe we even ask the question, is this really worth it? Is gathering together like this, is it worth all the hassle? What's the point of this Christian life? Is what I'm doing really making a difference? 
Well, today from Hebrews chapter 12, I hope it's an encouragement to persevere and it's a reminder that living for Jesus and serving him is something that can and should bring incredible joy in our lives. If we can lift our eyes above our circumstances, if we can remember why we're doing it, God can bring us great joy and he can help us to persevere. And so today we're back in the book of Hebrews. If you were here last week, we were in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 last week. And if you were there, you would have heard the context. But if you weren't, let me just refresh your memories today or share it for the first time. The letter of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians. They'd recently converted to Christianity. And since they converted, life had become increasingly difficult. They'd come, become Christians, maybe thinking that their life would be better in this new covenant compared to the old covenant. And yet now that they've accepted Christ, they're in this culture where they're being persecuted. Their rights are being taken away. Their families are under threat. And life is really just an ongoing slog for these people who've just come to know Christ. And in the midst of the slog and in the midst of the discouragement, some of them were tempted and thinking about going back to their old Jewish way of living. Because they just thought, well, well, life's become so much more difficult. If I at least just go back there, the persecution will stop. And so they're in this point of decision where they're like, we've accepted Christ, but it's just difficult. And so maybe we'll just go back to what it was before. Now, the letter of Hebrews is written by a, a person who's encouraging them that the New Testament, the New Covenant, is so much better than the Old. So even if you're struggling right now, in the New Covenant, there's no point going back because it's so much better here. So much more grace, so much more freedom, so much more hope for the future. And so don't go back. And so if you remember last week, Hebrews chapter 10, it was encouraging them to hold unswervingly to the hope that they have because the one who has promised is faithful. And then he said, we need one another. In the midst of all this struggle that you're going through, we need one another. So don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but do it all the more as the day approaches. Because when you meet together, you can encourage one another spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so keep meeting together in the struggle because God who has promised is faithful to what he has promised. So chapter 10 ends and it goes into chapter 11. And if you know your Bibles well, you'll know chapter 11 of Hebrews is one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. It's the the chapter where we look at the heroes of the faith. And it outlines all these great people that have gone before us and it talks about their lives and all the things they've done and achieved for God. And the the whole crux of the chapter is that they were people that lived by faith. And so as we read the chapter, we read the stories of these great people of Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab the prostitute and David and Samuel as well as a bunch of other people that aren't even named but they are all commended because they were people who lived by faith and as a result were used by God to do some incredible things even in the struggles. Now it finishes with these two astonishing verses. The end of chapter 11, verse 39, it says, These people were all commended for their faith. In other words, well done. You've run the race. Well done, good and faithful servants. You've wrung out your life. You've finished the race. You've lived for God in the midst of your struggles. And so all these people were commended for their faith, yet none of them, let me get this to you today, none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. So here are these people, they lived their whole life for God. They, some of them died for him. And they, they didn't see the promises in their earthly life because they had a hope in something that was so much greater from God's promises. And so that brings us to chapter 12, where we've started today. And it says, it starts by saying this, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, chapter 11, 
Therefore, all these people that have gone before you, therefore, since we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. Now, it's talking about these people we just spoke about. They've run their race. It was tough. We're not just talking about a bad week on a team. We're not just talking about a busy week in life. We're talking about a bunch of people, and it describes what some of these people went through when they were running their race. It says that they were tortured and imprisoned. They were mocked and flogged. They were put in chains. They were destitute, persecuted, ill-treated. Some of them were sawn in two while they were still alive. Others died by the sword. Others wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. But they're commended because they're people that live by faith. They finished the race God had planned for them. So therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, look at the next two words. Let us, let us, since we're surrounded by these people of incredible faith, let us. It's our turn. We're here because of the generation before us who have lived and died for God. And we're living in their heritage, but it's now our turn. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's our turn to run the race that God has marked out for us. These men and women ran their race well. It wasn't easy, but they ran well. And so may we be strengthened. May we be encouraged. May we be spurred on by those who have gone before us. Now let us follow their example. Now each of the characters in chapter 11 live for God, but none of them received the ultimate eternal promises of God in their earthly lives. And so I want you to think today of salvation history uh, in kind of a timeline. We know that God's outside of time because he's infinite, but we're finite beings. And so we live within a timeline. And so our timeline really began all the way back at the start when God created the heavens and the earth and he created humanity. And that's where uh, this whole thing for us kicked off. And so we've been going through this time. And at the other end of the timeline, we've got creation at one end. We've got recreation at the other, that Jesus is coming back. That's our hope. That's our future. That all the pain, all the suffering, all death, all those things that have come about from our sinfulness, Jesus is coming back to make those things right. He's going to restore paradise. And those that have put their faith in Jesus will live with him in his kingdom eternally. That's the hope we have as Christians. But I want you to understand today that, that all of us are somewhere on that timeline. So if it starts back here and it's all the way over there, we don't know when Christ is returning. But somewhere on that timeline, we find our lives And on this great, huge timeline of human history, our life is like a tiny little dot. The Bible says we're like a a vapor or a mist. So be encouraged today. We're like a vapor or a mist. We're here one day and we're gone the next. And so sometimes when our life is described like that in the Bible, we think, does my life really matter? Is there any significance to what I'm doing as I follow Jesus, as I run my little dot, my little race that God has persevered for me? But what I want you to understand today is that all the heroes of the faith are also on the timeline. And their life is also a little dot. And within their dot, God gave them something to do. For Noah, it was to build an ark where there was no sea and there was no rain. And he spent 100 years building it and he was persecuted for it. But his race was to build the ark so that people would be delivered from the flood and would continue to serve the Lord. That was his race. Abraham had his little dot. And in his little dot, he had to go and leave his people. Leave his family, leave his country, leave his father's inheritance and go by faith to a a land that God would show him so that he would be the father of the nation of Israel. And so Abraham, that was his job. Moses, in his little dot, 
on the timeline, this little dot that seems like a vapor or a mist. Uh, his, his job was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea to deliver them by, by holding up his staff and seeing the Red Sea part. That was his race to run. That was his little dot, his little vapor on the timeline. Now we look at those guys and we go, was Abraham significant? Was King David significant? Was Moses significant? Was Abel significant? Were any of these guys significant? Of course we say yes. They were heroes of the faith. But what I want you to get today is that their life was a dot on the timeline and your life is a dot on the timeline as well. And so if their life was significant, as they lived out their race, as they persevered through tough times, your life is significant as well. Now here's the thing I love about this timeline the best, that the infinite God entered his own timeline in the person of Christ. And he came right down in human history and he lived amongst us and ultimately he lived a perfect life and then died on the cross for us. He entered our timeline. Now if there's anyone who, who entered the timeline who, who we should have bowed down and worshipped, if there's anyone who should have been on a horse and chariot with a pina colada sitting back as we fanned him with, with palm leaves or something, it would have been Jesus. But as he entered the timeline, what did he say he came to do? To serve. So I haven't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus enters the timeline. And now post the cross, we find ourselves on our little dot on this timeline of history. And it's the same timeline that these heroes of the faith were on. And they look forward in the tough times to the promises of God. Now we've come through the cross. We've understood who Jesus was. We've accepted him. We're post cross. And so those promises for us are so much clearer now. We know that we've been forgiven. We know that Christ died for us. We know that we have a hope for eternal life because of what Christ did at the cross. And so in the midst of our little dot, as we run our race, when things get tough, just like they look to the promises of God, we can look to the promises of God in Christ and it will help us to persevere. Each of us find us find ourselves on this timeline of redemptive history. And we're like a little dot, but a significant dot. So we can look back, this great cloud of witnesses, and be inspired and encouraged, but we can look forward to the promises of God in Christ with great hope. And so since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us take our turn, run our race by faith as part of God's great redemptive story. And so what's the point that he's making as he points back to these heroes of the faith? Well, I think the point he's making is this, that serving is not always easy. It's not always beer and Skittles. It's not always... Um, pleasant. Living by faith can sometimes be very tough, and yet there's a bigger picture. We get so caught up in the circumstance, but there's a bigger picture. There's greater promises that await those who are in Christ. And so the first bit of advice he gives us is to consider those that have gone before us, to be inspired by their faith. I'm sure all of us have got people in life who we look to and um, we admire them. I look at the Apostle Paul, for example, and I love the way that no matter what happened to him, he kept running the race. I love the way that even when he was persecuted and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and thrown in prison and all those things, he said, it's, it's, it's worth it. And he gets to the end of his life and he said, I've fought the good fight. I've lived out my faith. I've finished the race. And now there's a crown of righteousness that awaits for me. And I'm inspired by someone like the Apostle Paul. Maybe for you, it's um, you know, one of the, the great reformers. Maybe it's Martin Luther or John Calvin or the great evangelist Billy Graham. Or maybe for you, it's closer to home. Maybe it's your grandparents or your parents. Or maybe it's that person who led you to Jesus. I know for me, I had a couple of youth group leaders that were so significant in my life. 
that they just gathered around me and mentored me in a difficult time of life. And I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for them. And so I look to those that have gone before me and I'm encouraged and I'm inspired to keep persevering because I know the impact they had and I know the impact they had on my life. And so I'm inspired to keep going myself. And so he says, consider those that have gone before you now that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. But then he goes on to say what I think is the most important thing in the whole passage. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. If we look at verses 1 and 2, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So it's great to consider those that have gone before us and to be encouraged and inspired by them. But ultimately, when we're serving God, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why at this church, our vision is Jesus. And some people say, well, that's just a bit too broad. It's a bit too simplistic. What's your vision for um, people's individual lives? Well, my vision for them is Jesus that they'd come to know him in a greater way, that they'd grow to become more like him by the work of the Holy Spirit. What's your vision for the community? Well, the vision for the community is Jesus, that he'd be lifted high, that people would look to him, that they would see Christ in us, and they'd come to know him in a personal way. What's your vision for serving? Same answer, Jesus. He's our vision for serving because he is the author and pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, I like both of those words. I like the fact that Jesus is the author of our faith and I like that he's the pioneer of our faith. Now, I like the fact that he's an author because last week I said that there was a time in our life before we came to know Jesus that we were wandering in the darkness. We were writing our own story of rebellion, walking away from God, but it was in that darkness while we were still sinners that Christ died for us and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he rescued us, he opened our eyes, he brought us back to the cross and when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Saviour, a miracle occurred. The Bible says we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. There's a new story in our life being written by Jesus. So he's the author of our faith. But he's also the pioneer of our faith. He's a pioneer because he's a pioneer who goes before us. A pioneer is someone who blazes a trail that we can follow, an example for us to look to. And Jesus was the pioneer of our faith. and He's the pioneer of what serving looks like in our lives. Just recently, someone's asked me to go and be trained so I can become a, a coach for other people that are planning churches. Now, we're 18 months old, and so I've nailed it all by now. <laughs> Nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. But I'm 18 months down the track... It's 18 months further than someone who's starting out. And so they want me to take the experiences we've had, all the things that we've done that have worked well, all the things that haven't worked well, and they want me to journey with some people to encourage them as they also step out in faith on this journey. And I'm really excited about that because I want to see the kingdom grow. I want to see more churches planted. And so I'm really excited about sowing back into the lives of other people that were me 18 months ago. And I think that's a great thing to do. But I'm not Jesus. And you'd be very grateful to know that. I'm nothing like Jesus. I'm becoming more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I've got a long way to go. But Jesus is the ultimate example. He's the ultimate pioneer of our faith and what it looks like to serve. And so when we look to his life, we see the Gospels. In the Gospels, we see a saviour that served. A person who served people who hated him. Someone who washed the feet of others he was far greater than. Someone who served when he was tired and weary and heartbroken, someone who died ultimately 
for people that didn't deserve it. And so if we want to know what serving looks like, we look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on him because he's the pioneer of our faith. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. You know, in ministry life, I've watched many times over the years, different teams working together. And you know with the problem with teams? The problem is that they've got people in them. And, and they never get on. And they always rub up against each other. And I know Mark Connor talks about Mr. and Mrs. Sandpaper. They're always rubbing up against each other. And, and there's often people in a team that will rub up against us. And, and it's awkward and it's painful at times and it's difficult. But I love the picture of sandpaper because if you keep rubbing it against something, what happens? Things become smoother, doesn't it? Something changes. Something becomes more refined. And I love that about serving on a team because as we serve together and as we rub up against not only those that we enjoy serving with but those we find difficult, God does something in our lives through that process. And so in this passage, he says, run the race, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin so easily entangles. And so why are there problems in teams? Because there's sin that so easily entangles. There's things that hinder us on a regular basis. And so this is what makes it important for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when this sort of stuff happens in teams, in other organizations like footy club or a mother's group or a community group or something like that, what usually happens is when there's tension or disagreement or things are said and done that they regret, you know what happens? Relationship breaks down. They spend the rest of their life trying to avoid that person. And when you try and avoid people that you've had a disagreement with, there's no growth. The only thing that grows is bitterness. There's no perfecting going on as Jesus is working in our heart. But there's been a great joy for me a couple of times in ministry life, more than a couple, many times, where I've watched people who've fallen out start to live out the gospel in that team. And they go away and they think about what they've said and what they've done and they reflect on it. And then they come back and they start a conversation with the person that they have fallen out with. And it's a great joy to watch them living out the gospel as they repent and forgive and live out the gospel in a powerful, tangible way. And what's awesome about that is that they're not only continuing to journey together, but their relationship and understanding of each other is going deeper. And so if you sign up for a team today, I can't guarantee that there won't be those moments where you rub up against someone the wrong way. But what I can guarantee is this, that if we don't just keep talking about the gospel, but we actually live it out amongst one another, this community will go deep. This community will be more and more Christ-like as we learn to love and forgive and repent and all those things that the gospel is all about. See, we so easily receive it, don't we? I'm so happy to be forgiven. I don't deserve it. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But we're not so great at distributing it at times. And serving in a team is one of those things that will accelerate this process of perfection going on in your life because he is the perfecter of our faith. As we allow him to work in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's transforming you. He's transforming me. He's conforming us in ever-increasing glory into the image of Christ. And the more we become like him, the more impact we're going to have on the world around us. Jesus is the author, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so when it's tough, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're tired, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you feel like giving up, fix your eyes on Jesus. And as we do this, as we consider those that have gone before us, as we fix our eyes on Christ as we serve him, we will be people who will be able to serve with great joy. Verse 2 and 3, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you're serving regularly, it's easy to get caught up in the circumstances of what's going wrong and what's happening in those circumstances. You can often feel like there's opposition. You can often feel discouraged, there's frustrations and obstacles. But when we fix our eyes on Christ in the midst of that, remembering there's a bigger picture to all of this, we start to realise that he knows exactly how we feel because he's been on the timeline. He's served in some of the most difficult circumstances. Not only does he know how we feel, Hebrews says he's our great high priest, he can sympathise with us in our weakness, but not only does he know how we feel, but he's here to help us as we serve him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus knows what it feels like to struggle as we seek to follow God. Everything he did on earth was all leading to a climax. And his life was difficult, but the climax was death on the cross. And so when he was washing people's feet, when he was being persecuted and betrayed, when he was tired, when he was hurting, when he was under so much pressure and anguish that he cried tears of blood, he knew that it was all ultimately leading to a brutal death on the cross. And yet he continued to serve because of the joy set before him. Because of the joy set before him. In the midst of all the struggles, he weighed it all up. And he said, all this stuff I'm going through, it's worth it for the joy set before me. And what was the joy set before him? Well, the joy was to finish the race. To, he said on the cross, it's finished, to, to live out the Father's will. But part of the joy was you and me, that we would be reconciled to God the Father. And so as Christ was going through all of this stuff, serving on earth in such a struggle and such a slog, he looked forward to the cross, and the cross was where he was going to die brutally, but he didn't just look to the cross, he looked through the cross, and for the joy set before him, he saw you and me sitting here today, reconciled to God the Father, and he said, guess what, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. You're worth it. It's worth it to finish the race that God, the Father, has put before me. That's an incredible thing to remember. It's all worth it. You're part of the joy. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to finish by telling you my highlight of the week. My highlight of the week this week was sitting down and having a coffee with Helen. Helen's here today, and Helen is part of our follow community. And she um, became part of our community through the food van. And uh, she's going to get baptised in March, which is so exciting, isn't it? So great. I asked her for permission to share this story, so I'm not speaking out of turn, but I sat down with Helen and I heard her life story. I'm not going to tell you her whole life story because she'll tell you that at her baptism, but I'll tell you parts of it that I found really encouraging. Helen told me that her first encounter with a food van was when Sylvia Simpson, who is a member of our church, who works for Four Seas, went to her house to deliver a, a hamper of food. And when I knocked on the door, and off her own bat, she took with her a flyer from the food van. And she said, here's a hamper, but here's a flyer about a food van we run two nights a week for those that, that need friendship, those that are struggling in some way in life, and you're welcome to come down. And she handed her the invite. And so Helen, pretty much from the start of the food van, most weeks has been down there. And she's been down there building friendships with people from this church. And over a period of time, she came to know that we're not complete freaks, that we are kind of normal in some ways, but we have a love for God. And so she got to know people through the food van experience. And after getting to know them and feeling more comfortable, she asked, what about this Follow Baptist Church, the side of the van? 
What's that all about? And so we said, uh, she said, can I come along? Well, let us pray about that. Yes, you can come along. Uh, anytime, you're welcome. And so she came along to follow Baptist Church. And let me tell you the most encouraging sentence she said in our catch-up this week. She said, since I've been at follow, my life has completely changed. Completely changed. She went on to tell me about what's going on. She's getting baptised, which is awesome. But she also talked about the fact that she's found it to be the most welcoming church she's ever been a part of. She walked in, she was welcomed. She feels loved here. She doesn't feel isolated anymore. She's part of a community, part of a family. She said she loves the music. She didn't say anything about the preaching, so I'll read between the lines there. But she loves the music. And so she comes and she's enjoyed gathering together and worshipping with God's people. She says she's joined an MCG and she now gathers each week with a group of women who are journeying with her and they open the word together and they're supporting her and encouraging her. She says she meets with some other women from the church and they pray each week. And all of a sudden her life has completely changed. And I sat there and I said to Helen, you know what? It's cost us thousands of dollars to put this food van together. But it's worth every cent for this one conversation. It's not just one conversation, is it? There's many conversations. People's lives are being impacted as we live out, whether it's people at the food van or the next door neighbor or whatever, it's all worth it when you see someone like Helen come into our community and feel like she belongs in a family of people that are loving and serving God. And I thought to myself in that moment, it's all worth it. It's worth it putting rosters together and finding enough volunteers. It's worth it slogging through winter in the, in the lake down at the food van. It's worth it in the heat of summer. It's worth it with the pressure of managing people. It's all worth it. And for me, it was a big picture moment. And I was reminded, this is why we serve. This is why we give our lives to something bigger than ourselves, because we want to see the kingdom of God extended. We want to bring glory to God, and we want to see people's lives change. In that moment, I thought to myself, it's all worth it. For the joy set before us, people like Helen, it's all worth it. The things on earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And here's what hit me. Here's what hit me in that big picture moment. What happens here on a Sunday is play a huge part in what's happening in Helen's life. The food van's great, but we've got to have someone to bring them, a community, a family to bring them into. And this is what makes this gathering so powerful because I thought about Helen's experience and what she told me about what she loves about church. And when Helen came here, there was a seat for her to sit on. Someone set up that seat. When Helen came, there was a welcome team who were warm and friendly and they welcomed her to church and they smiled and she felt embraced by a community. There are musicians who practice early in the morning and lead us in musical worship coming through speakers that are set up by our setup team. She received a welcome pack from someone on our welcome team and she was handed a welcome pack put together by our administration team. She went to the hub and got a baptism pack put together by our administration team. She's enjoyed the service of the hospitality team. She's now joined a group of women being led by women in our community, our MCG leaders. And it reminded me that, that we all play a part. We're all a body. We're all a family. And as we contribute, there's a bigger picture. And so sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes we think, is it worth it? But when we look at some of these things, we go, yes, it's worth it. Sometimes in the midst of the circumstances, when we're tired and we feel like giving up, sometimes we wonder, is it worth it? Does my serving really make a difference? Well, it did for Helen. Maybe setting up seats is not actually setting up seats. Maybe it's sowing seeds. Maybe early morning set up and rehearsals is preparing a place where we can worship. 
Maybe the serving of food and coffee isn't just about the food and coffee, although they're good. Maybe it's about people experiencing the love and embrace of Christ. Maybe serving is worth it. Maybe it's something that can bring us great joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before us, the glory of God, the extension of his kingdom and the lives of many hearts who will be changed in and through our church, it's worth it. So today I want to encourage you to sign up after the service and serve. Serve in this community, serve in this family, but not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of obligation, not from a place of guilt or with a begrudging attitude, but rather with an immense, from an immense place of joy that we would serve with him in his redemption mission to the world around us. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord, what joy there is when we see one sinner come to know you, one person come into relationship with you. We know there's a party in heaven going on and it brings us great joy as well when we see people's lives change, when we hear testimonies, not just at a baptism, but sitting around having a coffee talking to people in our community, when we hear the testimonies of what you're doing, Lord, I pray that we would remember as we serve, even in the difficult times, there's a bigger picture. There are eternal promises in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that it's worth it. Lord, I pray for those right now that are tired and weary, that they would come to you and that you would give them rest, that you would restore their souls. And if they need to step back for a season, Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged and be built up and be reminded that they're not loved because of what they do. They're loved because of, of who you are and what you've done for them. Lord, for those that are serving at the moment, Lord, I thank you for them. And I pray that you would encourage and inspire them this morning to remember that we serve for something so much greater than just putting chairs out, so much greater than just setting up a food van. We serve for the living God who's on a redemptive mission of which he invites us to be a part. Lord, our lives are not just a dot on a huge timeline. They are significant. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to run the race that you've set out for us, that we do it with perseverance, remembering those that have gone before us, fixing our eyes on Christ, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith, that we would wring our lives out for the glory of God, that we would stand before you one day and hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. Now come and enjoy what I have prepared for you. Lord, I pray that we would serve never to earn your attention or your affection, but we serve because we've received your affection and your unconditional love. And from that place of incredible gratitude, I pray that we would serve with passion and with hearts full of joy for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.